Welcome everyone back to the broadcast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and I am joined on this beautiful Wednesday afternoon by the beautiful Tracy Pearson. Tracy, how are you? <laughs> I'm feeling rather beautiful right now. Yeah. I am. How'd I you know? You. I feel really, I feel pretty. I heard you singing, I feel pretty, <laughs> just before we got on, so that was really what did it for me. Yeah, sometimes I just break out in that song when I'm feeling it. You yeah, know? I get it. I break out in the song occasionally. Not usually wearing, that one. I'm wearing, I'm wearing kind of bright, you know, colors today, and I, I just feel pretty. You know. Yeah, you know, when you're wearing pastels, you got to flaunt it, right? Pastels. Yep. Yeah. Um, well, we are a UCLA sports podcast. We talk about UCLA sports here on the broadcast, and um, we're going to do something a little different today, Tracy. You ready for it? We are, and we and we actually had thought of this idea, but then someone suggested it on the Premium Hoops Forum also. Mm-hmm. And what we're going to do is we're not going to talk about football first. We're not going to do it to you. No, we're not going to do that to you. Uh-uh. We're going to talk about this UCLA basketball team, which starts its season, tips off its season. So whenever we do the transition, little little inside baseball, whenever we do the transition from football to basketball... I always go through a couple of weeks where I'm like saying, uh, they're going to kick off, you know, they're going to kick off the season or I start talking about schemes, which you don't really use that word with basketball or start talking about the defense as if it's a separate entity and not the same five guys, because it just takes a while to get your, you know, your, your, your lexicon back in order. But we're going to talk hoops because they're starting in three weeks on, uh, in the first week of November. So It it tips off in about three weeks. Yeah, it tips ah, off. Ah, see what I did there. Yeah, it does. We it have really to shift does. our we have to shift our sport analogies. Our sports ball. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we have uh, you posted some great inside info this week from the early practices for Mick Cronin. Um, just a brief rundown of basically what they're working with. Um, most of the injured guys are back, except for David Singleton, who is back but not yet fully going with full contact stuff. I think that was the last little bit of info we had, and the hope is still that he might be ready for the start of the season, but uh, not quite there yet. Is that is that more or less the gist of the roster at this point? That is more or less the gist. Um, Tiger Campbell is, is participating in contact portions of practice. I still think they're managing him a little, not going full go and just bringing, you know, just finishing that off rather than pushing him too much. Uh, and David Singleton, I think, has just started a little bit of, like, full contact. But uh, I've heard he's still kind of tentative. Uh, as you can understand, even if the foot's 100%, he would have to be a, a little, you know, it's just going to go through your mind. You're going to be a little worried about cutting cutting on your uh, on your foot and putting weight on it or just – you know, what you could do when you are playing full contact. So that's, I don't think there are any other pressing injuries, uh, just maybe little nicks and bruises here or there. But yeah, that's the state of the personnel, of the basketball personnel. Yeah, and um, I, I think one of the other interesting notes from this past week was uh, with Pac-12 Media Day. Um, I was... I was kind of blown away by this, and I'd love to hear your thoughts, but UCLA was picked eighth in the conference um, in basketball, and I, I was I was stunned by that. I mean, you look at the collection of talent on this roster, I would have 
thought it would have been at least like fourth or fifth, um, and picked eighth. That 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 kind of blew me away. Did that did that shock you at all? Um, it 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 really didn't. And I don't I don't know how to say this without saying it. I don't necessarily have a great deal of respect for the media in judging in judging the potential of teams. Um, I think most of them just look at the records from last year, kind of look at the returning productive starters, and they look at UCLA and they say, wow, they lost three starters. Um, and then they go from there. And that's, that's kind of what, in football and in basketball, I think that's what most do. Uh, I, I thought they'd come in at about five or six, so eighth is – a little low. And, and I, I also think, you know, among the little Pac-12 media there, there's probably a little bit of resentment towards UCLA basketball. Yeah. <laughs> I think that might have moved it from like fifth to eighth, possibly. Because um, if you look at last year, UCLA finished seventh um, and one game out of fourth, basically. Yeah. Um, so it's just, yeah. I, I, I just, I mean, yeah, obviously the media, the broad base of media is not going to have a great feel for it. Um, but still, I mean, it's just, I, I was not expecting that. I was expecting, you know, middle tier for sure. But um, I really, I, and you noted this yesterday, but I, I've got to think the coaching staff loves seeing that. Loves yeah, you would, seeing eighth. <laughs> I mean, uh, you, you've dealt with coaches, as yeah. have I. When they talk about how well they do, in a season, it's all about what expect what level of expectations are set. So they love every coach on earth loves to see. You think the coaches would like to have them, you know, for their own ego to be picked high in a poll like that preseason poll? No, no, they want to see. They want to see them picked very low. They want they want the media to do the sandbagging for them, pretty much. So. I think everyone in that UCLA basketball program came away quite pleased with that eighth rank ranking in the yeah, Pac-12. Absolutely. Um, and so uh, you obviously reported a bunch of kind of notes from practice. Um, I, I think the general takeaway is people seem to be impressed with Tiger Campbell um, just in the early going here, which is, I think when we were assessing like, okay, what needs to happen for this team to actually be, you know, kind of good at least in Mick Cronin's first year, solidifying something at point guard was number one on the list. And I don't think there was a close number two. So that's obviously great news for the team this year. Yeah. Um, very much so. I mean, because you, you just, when you really look over a roster, you're thinking, well, who's the first thing you really think, or you should is who's going to play point guard. Um, And there, that was a huge question mark, especially not just because of Tiger Campbell, but because of David Singleton being out too, because he was the one who gave you backup minutes last year at point guard. So, yeah. So we've gone from that state to knowing that Tiger Campbell looks like he's going to be fine to play this year and play a hundred percent. While on top of it, what I've heard from a number of sources is, they feel plenty fine with Jules Bernard at least acting like a lead guard. That where he, honestly, that shocks me a little bit. Yeah, me too. Because, well, if you go by pure stats and you're talking about assist-to-turnover ratio, 
Yeah, he's not gonna. That's not gonna be one of his best stats from no. last season, because I mean, man, if there was a guy who you know epitomized just driving, driving to nowhere, it, it was him through um, three quarters of the season. I would say the last yeah. quarter of the season he started to figure things out, but even still, I wouldn't have called him a distributor. Right. Um, I think what they're thinking is he can bring the ball up, and he's not probably going to get picked and. You know, whether that's true or not, but I, I think they have confidence in that. And uh, I, I think they have, they feel that he can solid, solidly execute an offense as a perimeter guard. Um, I think that's all they were probably thinking in the people who gave me that opinion. Um, I don't think they're thinking that he's, you know, this amazing ball distributor. Um, but what that also does, and like what I wrote, it gives them so – if that is true, it gives them so much uh, ability to just, – just versatility. I mean if they have a smaller guard that Tiger Campbell can guard, he can play. If they've got to go up against a lineup with bigger guards, Jules Bernard might be able to do it. Um, someone did bring this up that this sounds strikingly like – that Isaac Hamilton preseason BS that we heard. I don't even know how many years ago, Dave, it all runs together now. Um, and that could very well be true because I mean, obviously the last coaching staff said a lot of things that were just so off base, but every coaching staff in football or basketball just is not necessarily always good at judging their own personnel. Yeah. Um, and going into a season, they all get kind of confident about things, and then they realize, oh, no, that, that yeah, that doesn't work. So we'll see, but at least the thought, the feeling that they think Jules Bernard can play some lead guard, I think, is a good thing. And I know that they really like Bernard. Well, and looking at it, um, so with Singleton Hurt, uh, a lineup that's Bernard, Ali, Smith, Riley, Hill, um, that's, if not exactly, got to be close to their best defensive lineup um, without if Singleton's not available. Um, so it makes sense also from that angle, um, just from in terms of who they're going to guard and what they're going to do on a defensive side. So as long as Prince Ali can match up against like a six, two or smaller point guard and stay in front of him. And he's shown flashes of being able to do that. Then he's shown moments where he, where he just stands there well, and, and frankly, watches him go by. Frankly, his best flashes as a defensive player were his first year. Um, I think it's been kind of downhill for him from that angle um, since then, because I think it's, you know, the culture and hopefully the culture has already had an impact on him. You know. I've heard I've heard he's completely bought in. Now, uh, when I've talked to people around the program, they're cautiously optimistic about all this. Like specifically, let's say about Prince Ali buying in. Uh, they think the the mindset of all the players is that they're bought in, but that's a big leap from really being able to like sustain effort throughout a game. If you haven't been doing this pretty much your entire basketball career it's you know there aren't there isn't a there aren't synapses in your brain that that know this you you got to like carve out a whole new behavior of synapses yeah 
to, to do this. So there are going to be times, I think, when uh, they might they might not be playing at the kind of level or intensity focus that Mick Cronin wants uh, just because, you know, it's a whole new level of expectation of how hard to play, how focused to play, stay under control, everything. So, but I've heard that Prince Ali is bought in. And, and that's, I mean, that's fantastic. And, I mean, I don't know. For me, when I look at this roster and I think about kind of what we're hearing about their buy-in and um, kind of how hungry they are to basically be a winning program and not be kind of a joke like they were last year in the last couple of years, it feels to me just, you know, our our historical context, it feels to me kind of like when Mora took over from Neuheisel, where a lot of these talented guys from Neuheisel were just like, I'm sick of losing. I'll buy into whatever this is, and I'm just going to work my butt off. Um, and so a lot of guys who we had thought, I mean, Anthony Barr, a guy who was at the basically at the wrong position, but also, you know, we didn't think was going to amount to anything because he just kind of looked, you know, just kind of going through the motions. Suddenly he's a killer out there. Um, right. And I... It kind of feels that way to me, you know. I mean, maybe there's not the like true blow you away star, but I don't know. Chris Smith, look, he hasn't done much through his UCLA career, but there's a lot to like about him just physically. Um, you know what what he can potentially do at like whatever he is six eight six nine. Um, there's there's some clay to mold there, um, and Jalen Hill's another one. Prince Ali, frankly, is is a really good lateral athlete. Um, so I don't know. There's some really nice pieces on this roster that I think if if Cronin can, I mean, to your point, get them bought in on everything, including just you know the work, the hard work, but also just schematically what they're trying to do. I think they're. I, I'm I'm betting strongly they're going to be better than eighth in the conference, and I think they might really surprise some people this year. Yeah, I, I think it's. I, I think it's pretty easy to think that. I, I mean, just I don't think we're necessarily taking a big leap here and being too optimistic and being fans these are these are talented players yeah i mean jalen hill cody riley jules bernard those i mean i can't remember exactly but those are all top 50 national recruits well i mean look at this the the starting lineup you put out there so bernard was a four-star prince ali was a four-star chris smith was a three-star uh, but Cody Riley and he, a, and he might be the most talented. Exactly. Uh, Cody Riley was a four-star, and I think Jalen Hill was at one time a five-star, but then dropped down to a four-star. Um, but that's a lineup of four four-stars. And then you've and got I, D- David Singleton, who's a four-star. Tiger Campbell, who's a four-star. Like, you've got talent on this roster. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, from what I've heard, right now, they, they almost oh, – if you walked away, you and I came away from last season, we'd say, well, David Singleton is the guy. I'm hearing right now the feeling is that all of these guys are – you know, obviously he's hurt, but all, a lot of these other guys have really developed beyond David Singleton, that he's not the guy to be looking for at this point. So I also find that very, very promising. For um, sure. Jalen Hill, you'll be you'll be a little shocked when you see him physically. He's still really angular, um, but his upper body—he's got some guns and shoulders on him now. Um, I've heard Cody Riley is just kind of that really tough, low post 
enforcer and he's doing it well. Um, he's got but, a mean streak. He showed a mean streak yeah. last year. And that, and that, but then Chris Smith will flash like some of the most talent, but lacks that consistency. So just picture Chris Smith from what you saw at moments last year, and that gets a little better, but it's still not all the time. Yeah. So there's a lot of, there's, I mean, Chris Smith, if he really puts it together consistently, that's an NBA player. Yeah. So there's a lot, there's a lot of talent there. And then, you know, we're not even talking about maybe the most talented guy on the team, and that's Sharif O'Neal. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so where are they, from what you understand, where are they projecting him? Is he going to be a pure four? Because watching him, is he offensively a four? Like where where do you see him? He's a, he's a he's a combo forward. I mean, he I don't know if he can necessarily put the ball on the floor against, you know, smaller defenders, but against bigger defenders it would be good to try to face up and take someone off the dribble that he's definitely quick enough to get around like a college 6-8 power forward. Um he doesn't play much with his back to the basket. Uh, but he's got a good shot. He and you can always use six eight guys, six nine guys who will draw, who will draw a defender away from the paint. There's that is one of the most valuable, <laughs> valuable things to have on a team. A six eight guy who can really shoot, um, because that 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 changes everything. That opens up the paint. There's a post player down there who now doesn't have a guy. A defender who's going to collapse on him, um, but I, I think there's a there's the element that you know Sharif is going to have to just basically toughen up, get more physical, get stronger, just to consistently play at the type of level and the and the and the style that Mick Cronin wants to play. He he's a finesse player, yeah. So so that's going to be really interesting. But like we said, I, I mean. They don't necessarily need Sharif O'Neal to to like deliver this year. They they've got enough. They have enough talent. Um, I'm hearing great things about Jaime Jaime Yaquez. Is that what uh, we're going with? Is that what we're pronouncing it? I think so. Okay, that's fine. Um, I've actually heard things about good things about Jake Kaiman too. That he'll be a solid. You know, they has a chance to be a really solid role player. They'll um, need him to shoot, isn't he? Uh, he's a good yeah. shooter. Um, yeah. Because that's one thing when you're looking at this roster. If David Singleton is out for any amount of time, they don't have any shooting. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, you know, and Alex Olazinski, I think, will be incrementally better than he's been, and that would be good because you know you thought he was a what twelve minute a game, twelve yeah, to fifteen 10, minute 10, a game, ten fifteen minute. Yeah, yeah. So if he can do that, twelve to fifteen minutes, and be even better than he was. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm just delusional. Maybe I need to just go out and, and look at all, <laughs> all the teams in the Pac-12 just to get some perspective. But usually when I do that, that's when I go back and say, yeah, UCLA is a lot better than Yeah, UCLA is a conference. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because um, the Pac-12 is usually really bad. Yeah, no, and I, you know, some of it is probably we're just we're looking for anything that'll distract us from this. You, you think so, Dave? Do you think we're a little desperate? <laughs> I think we might be, but yeah, I mean, you're talking. I mean, Olesinski as your eighth guy or whatever. 
that's great, you know, and he's also one of those dudes who's tough, um, that, who, you know, he'll knock a guy around a little bit, and if that's what he does in his 10 minutes in, in the game, I think Cronin's gonna love that, um, you know, I don't think you're getting a ton of offense from him, but, I mean, if he'll beat a guy up for a little bit, that's great to have. I mean, pretty much what I've also heard is that this coaching staff would have loved to have had any of these guys at Cincinnati. Yeah. Like Tiger Campbell would have been a star on their team at Cincinnati. Totally. And I Co- mean, Cody Riley, you know, Jalen, they never, they would have never, they never got a Jalen Hill. So, you know, very, very rarely. So, yeah, I think. It's just a matter, really, of there's always a transition in basketball of of a whole new scheme and expectation level, and so that's going to be that's going to be the element here. And, and and honestly, what you just said is finding some outside shooting. Yeah, but it is kind of incredible that Steve Alford's last move at UCLA was to leave a roster almost entirely like defensive oriented. Like if you actually look at their ability and physical capabilities, like this is a defensive roster um, and it's Steve Alford. They never played any defense. So it's, just, that, yeah. it's he never used this potential for the yeah, defensive he, side. He, yeah, he, he could have used this power for good, but he did not. He, he used it for evil. Yeah, and exactly. then here's the other thing too. When you have a chemistry of a team, it's always about, there's always like a tipping point of how many guys you have that are kind of, you know, spoilers of the chemistry, bad seeds a little. I think they got rid of the guys or the guys left that would have tipped, gone over the tipping point. Yeah, I agree. Like maybe just even if you had retained just one of those guys, it might have it might have spoiled this team. Totally, that's what I've been thinking pretty much the entire off season. That just kind of having those guys go off to the NBA or the draft or whatever they did. Um, it this is a collection of guys who will buy in because none of them have made it in any real way or think they've made it um, in the way that you know guys who come in as like essentially one and dones or that think they're essentially one and dones think they've already made it. Um, yeah. As far as like a hungry UCLA roster, this one makes sense for that you know moniker. Um, yeah. Because these guys have lost a lot the last couple of years, and none of them are you know one and done types. Clearly, none of the guys returning are obviously, and also I mean the two guys coming in aren't one and dones. So well, you know, like I said, you know, it, it's got to be this. I this is the perspective that I'm really taking some optimism from. If, if their expectation of David Singleton isn't very high compared to everyone else on this team, I think we're in pretty good shape. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we'll, I mean, we'll obviously learn a lot in these first, in this first year about, you know, what to take from the coaching staff and what to take from the assessments around the program, um, you know, heading into a season. But for now, we'll go with what they're saying. And let's, tu- let's touch on recruiting because I have a story prepared. I just haven't published it yet. Because uh, everyone's so, of course, curious about recruiting. Uh, UCLA needs, has three open scholarships for 2020. One commitment from Dacian Nix, the number one point guard in the country, which changes the entire perspective on, on so many things, just not on 2020 recruiting, but on 
this coaching staff, it makes you felt, didn't you, when Dacian Nix, the number one point guard in the country, committed to UCLA, didn't you kind of get a little, didn't you flash to kind of those old feelings of, in like deja vu of UCLA actually being like a prominent basketball program? No, it totally. And that was, yeah. I, I think I tweeted it out. Oh, UCLA is behaving like UCLA should again. Like yeah. that's what it felt like. How weird did that feel? It's so weird. really foreign. Because, I mean, obviously, Alford got a few five stars, but it was always like a weird thing. Like, oh, Kevon Looney from, like, whatever, Wisconsin is coming to UCLA. That's weird. Um, it wasn't, oh, okay, cleaning up the local five stars the way you should. Like, the guy who's, you know, in your region, who's the f- number one point guard, going and grabbing him. And, you know, doing it early and making it a done deal really quickly. I mean, that's... That's, you know, that's early era Howland stuff. Like, that's kind of the, the, you know, what you build on is signing that first point guard. Um, and he did it. Yeah. So there's that. And if you look at the depth chart, that was, that was the real, real drastic need. Once you plug him into any depth chart, now you're feeling kind of good. Yeah, they could really use a big, especially if Jalen Hill or Cody Riley go pro. Uh, and... You know, you and I know they shouldn't, no matter almost whatever year they have. But that's never (laughs) – sometimes that's never been a consideration when it comes to college players, especially UCLA college players. Um, So they have two to give. They could need a post player. Mark Williams looks destined for Duke, I think. Yeah, now that Uh, Walker Kessler went to North Carolina. Yes. Um, I think he was (laughs) – I think he was going there anyway. Yeah. and, but, and yeah. you know, we, we understand that. So right now, UCLA, if you throw take him off the table, UCLA doesn't have an off route to any big in the 2020 class. Uh, so, you know, they'll sit back, see if anyone emerges. Remember, also, this is a little bit of an asterisk here because this is their, you know, they got they got to this class late, the staff. Um you know, in basketball, a lot of these, even more so than football by far, this various coaching staffs have been recruiting these guys since they were 14. Right. Um, so it is tough to come in the spring before their senior years. Um, a UCLA coach is going to go out to see Javante Brown Ferguson, a kid from Baltimore who's a 2021 prospect who more than likely will reclassify to 2020. Um UCLA, this staff isn't in the habit really of chasing, you know, those highly starred recruits all around the country unless they have a good chance or they have a connection. Uh, Javante Brown Ferguson is a guy who has obviously has some real upside. And now that he reclassified, Kansas just offered. He's got offers from Indiana, Connecticut, Texas A&M. So that's the kind of field out there that you think UCLA might be able to to be competitive with. And I think UCLA has got an indication they would if they offered it. Um, and then they'll keep it open. In basketball, there's so much that happens between now and April when it comes to recruiting. Not only guys guys emerging, but guys decommitting from other, from other programs. Um, when it comes to wings, they're still involved with Cameron Thomas, the five-star, five-star kid from Oak Hill Academy. He's probably leading the LSU. I think UCLA is running second. Uh, and then everything that everyone wants to hear about, the situations like with Joshua Christopher and Jalen Green. Um, 
I think UCLA has a legitimate shot with 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 Christopher. Uh, everyone I know who's close to the situation still feels he's going to Arizona State because his oldest brother, his older brother, is there as a freshman right now. ASU has been on him for a long time, but he's not going to verbally commit. I mean, he's not going to sign until spring. So that's a long time. Uh, I think Christopher is, and just not Christopher, but his whole camp, his whole entourage is all about, you know, they think he's one and done. And they're all about branding and high profile. And rightly so. He's 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 a very good player who's going to play in the NBA. And they could be thinking, wouldn't it be smarter for him to play in Los Angeles with a great point guard and get a lot of exposure? And, you know, right in his backyard, he'll be able to keep going there. I'm sure he'll get out to ASU to see his brother sit on the bench. Did you like that pause right there? That was beautiful. Dave? That yeah. was beautiful. I love that. He also has an official visit planned for UCLA uh, late January. So that's going to be something to watch. I, I think the situation with him will be completely different by spring. And, you know, he'll see how UCLA looks. Uh, that's one thing to say. If, if UCLA looks good this season on the court, there is I, I, I can see them getting involved with a lot of guys that – might decommit someplace else or anyone who's available, who, who's a high level recruit that becomes available. Jalen green, our, our forum message board just loves talking about Jalen green. Uh, there was a rumor, uh, not even a rumor. It was a report that he was going to visit this weekend. I've talked with everyone who should know, and there is no evidence that he is visiting. It might be, in his mind, he's visiting, and his whole camp believes he's visiting. But the hosts, I think, this side of it, like the Westwood side, I think everyone involved from talking to people who know that don't know that this is that this is happening. So it <laughs> could happen, but it, it's not planned. Um, uh, he visited Memphis, Oregon, Auburn. Uh, he's he's unofficially visited USC. This is a kid that every time I talk to someone who knows the situation says he's going to go play overseas for a year and then go to the NBA. So no matter if he signs with someone, that's what's going to happen. Even recently coming out of his camp, there's been talk he's going to he's going to play for hometown Fresno State for a year. So oh, okay, so this is full circus stuff that they Oh, yeah. this is this okay. is three three ring just you know, whenever whole, you hear five star going to play for Fresno State, yeah, no. And the whole thing of him being a package deal with Christopher—that's just. I don't think I don't think the Christophers know that even. So, yeah. Um, so that's where it is. I think UCLA will be. They they could very well just sign Dacia Nix in November, and that's fine. Uh, if they look good on the court. I think there are going to be a lot of options available by April. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of where we stand at this moment in recruiting with 2020. Oh, but we do have that 2021 uh, power forward. Uh, Nate Biddle from Oregon is taking an official visit this weekend. And that's, that's significant. Uh, you know, a lot of people are calling him for hometown Oregon, but he does play on an Under Armour 
sponsored LA based AU team, uh, West Coast Elite. He's familiar with Southern California. Again, UCLA looks good this season. I, I could see that happening. I could see that happening too. So a lot to be a lot to be excited about, but it's it's really like you got two pictures. One has Dacian Nix in it, you feel good. Another picture that doesn't have Dacian Nix in it, yeah, you'd be you'd be completely disoriented and a, a little distraught. So he makes everything good at this point. Yeah, I think that's right. Okay. Okay. Good, okay. Good little good little hoops talk to start the show. Also want to just do a little plug for UCLA that they're having the, I don't even know what they're calling it. It's a showcase next Wednesday right. at 23rd at 7 o'clock. I think doors open at 6.30, which is kind of going to be fun. I mean, obviously, there's not going to be 12,000 people there, but I the, think people, the, the people are excited. The 1,200 people there are going to be really excited. Uh, you know, I think there might be some people there who just have the UCLA fanship and they have nothing to do with it right now. It's just sitting there <laughs> disillusioned. Yeah, take it out for a spin. Just walk down Bruin Walk and, oh, wow, look, here's a little basketball showcase. Uh, yeah. you, and uh, that's the soft stuff that honestly I think is 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 – is winning things for Mick Cronin right now is he really does seem to be embracing like the, the idea of being the coach and like the community aspects of being the coach and all that kind of stuff, um, which is I think very important for a new coach at a school to do. Um, it's better than the alternative, which is, you know, shunning those things and not segway, being open. Segway, and, and, segway. There's a segway. Segway. <laughs> Anyway. I was being <laughs> subtle, Tracy. I don't know what you're talking about, um, but clearly, I, th- I think he's showing how it's done, how it should be done to any new coach at a school. Um, you know how you should uh, how you should carry yourself. All right, let's talk yeah. about football. <laughs> uh, let's talk about football. You really quickly, UCLA, Stanford, go. Um, Stanford is its worst team in a decade. Um, it's got its worst offense in quite some time, uh, worst defense in quite some time. They should beat UCLA by double digits. And Would you, even yeah. without even without their first two starting quarterbacks, they should beat UCLA by double digits. Who is starting at quarterback if Mills doesn't play? Jack West, a four star uh, four star from 2018 out of Alabama. So he's had All a right. year in the program. He took second string reps in the spring. David Shaw has said they're not going to limit the playbook, even if West is the guy. Um, they're still going to run their stuff. They have. Full they always in say them. that stuff, and they and that's the thing. I don't think it's just talk. I think they they really do do that, and that's so often so stupid. But yeah, yeah, yeah. and I'm I'm interested to see exactly how stupid it ends up being. But the great forgiveness in all those things is UCLA's secondary. Um, that'll it'll forgive a lot of sins, you know. If and, it, and it's you versus David Shaw again. Yeah, it really is. He's your guy. He's, He's my your boy. Guy. He's my boy. Um, yeah, and I think, you know, the, the thing is they're catching Stanford at, um, in a lot of ways, the exact wrong time because Stanford was really bad as of three weeks ago. And then they got right in a big way against Washington. And most importantly, their run game appeared to get right um, against Look, Washington's taken a step back this year defensively, but they're still a good defense. 
Um, and they were able to just kind of do their methodical Stanford running against Washington. Uh, if they were able to do it against Washington, I don't see any reason why they wouldn't be able to do it against UCLA. And if they're able to do that, I mean, it's going to be really, really hard for UCLA to kind of maintain against that. They'll get worn down. The offense will have its typical, you know, one good drive, one bad drive, one decent drive, one bad drive, one fine drive, one bad drive, and uh, they'll just get behind, and it'll be ugly after a while because the defense will get exhausted. Has has the Stanford offense kind of gone to more of a spread concept, would you no, say? No, honestly, the, the, the most recent game, they were more Stanford-y. Like, they went kind of ground and pound. Now, something they are limited in in doing is they can't really do their ogre thing anymore because they're down to six scholarship offensive linemen. So I think they're going to have to do more spread looks in this game. Just But honestly, you, you, that's you a mean, great... You mean they're going to, like, like a 1-4 kind of personnel look <laughs> like they used to, but without the guys to do it? Yeah, and they're not going to be able oh. to do that this this game. Okay. They're going to gotcha. have to do... I think they're going to have to do a lot of 11 personnel um, where they've got three wide and, and Kobe Parkinson out there. But that's what they should do against this UCLA team. Um, because if they can get Parkinson in anything like single coverage against one of UCLA's safeties or against one of their inside linebackers or really whatever double covered in a zone doesn't matter. Uh, but the more receivers they put on the field, the more, the more they're going to be able to hit in the passing game. I mean, it's just UCLA can't really cover. They've got one guy who's been, I'm still not going to say Darnay Holmes has been actively awful this year. Um, and he can maybe cover a little still in this defense. Um, everyone else has been bad. So, um, they're going to have a lot of issues if Stanford does, elect to do what their personnel probably dictates for this game, which is air it out and spread it. Um, but Cameron Scarlett, their running back, was good in this past game, and it was his first like really good game um, in his entire career, basically. Um, so, I don't know. I, I think Stanford is getting right. I don't think the quarterback situation will mess them up that badly. And UCLA, I just think, is in kind of, you know, disaster zone, especially defensively. Um. I kind of want everyone to – I don't usually ask for appreciation, but I'm going to the Sanford game, which is, which is uh, an expensive trip because hotels in Palo Alto are so ridiculously expensive, especially for this game, uh, having even booked it a couple of months ago. So – Dave, you and I have memories of watching UCLA lose in that stadium and going – and remember, we had that favorite bar that went out of business in Palo Alto. What was it called? You've asked me this gr- before on the show, and I, I didn't know then, and I don't know now. I thought you would have come up with it by now that you had like gotten no, back some of your memory. that's not the way my memory works. Oh, it just keeps getting worse yeah, and worse? Yeah, it Okay, gotcha. Um, yeah, that was a good bar. Uh yeah, so I'm going, and I'm staying at a very expensive hotel, and I just wanted everyone to know that. Everyone should come out, everyone, and you know what? Give me bar suggestions for after the game, and I'll meet you guys there, there and, you we'll, and we'll drink. We'll drink to a victory, or we'll drown our sorrows after a loss. What do you say, guys? Let's do it.
Yeah. What better way to celebrate the 12th straight loss to Stanford? Wow. You just went – I like – I was kind of balanced there. I didn't want to depress everyone, and you just – you pretty much just hit that over the head with a club. Yeah. Well, think about it. Like when this thing started, which was 2009, um, like think about what Stanford was just coming off of. If you told anyone at that point that Stanford was going to rattle off 11 straight, soon to be 12, I don't know. Man, that's something. That's really something. Uh, If you did the thing, that kind of thing, like what was happening in the United States, (laughs) um, what, 10 years ago in 2009? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like iPhones were only like a year and a half old, something something like that, two years old. Yeah. 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 Uh, I mean, no, it, it's, it seems like a very, very, very long time ago. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess in theory, UCLA has a chance to win this one if, if, I guess, if Jack West is really bad. Like, if he throws a bunch of picks or something or just looks really shaky out there, then I think UCLA could win it. But otherwise, um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to call a Stanford win. I did. I called the two touchdown win. Um, I want to touch on, I, I don't want to talk about that game anymore. But I do okay. want to talk about the APR stuff um, that uh, you and, and then I think the next day, Bolch kind of brought it up again. I mean, you brought it up once and he kind of gave a, you know, a chippy answer. And then Bolch asked about it and he gave a chippy answer to him, too. Um, about UCLA. A chippy answer. I like that. Yeah, yeah. About yeah. UCLA's APR issues. And he basically, is this a fair assessment? He basically pinned it on Jim Mora. And what was happening before Chip got here? Yeah, he didn't like, he kind of threw it away. He just said, you know, it's a four-year rolling, mumbling. It's a four-year rolling score. And, you know, the, the scores that, that you said I got before I got here, you know, were really, it's so, kind of what he said. Yeah, so let me take everyone through what the APR is because I want everyone to be very clear about it. It's not graduation rate. That's not what this is. That's a different deal. The APR is a single-year score. Every year you get an APR score. What your overall four-year rolling average is is what determines whether or not you're going to have any penalties. So, And they, they come out with that four-year rolling score, but every spring, not for that year you're in, but the year the previous, previous year. So right. the score that came out this past spring was for Chip Kelly's transition year. So right. the year that Mora was basically there for all of fall quarter, and then Chip Kelly took over for winter and spring quarter. So right. two of the three academic quarters that UCLA gets assessed on were Chip Kelly quarters. Um, now, the score itself is based on two factors. One, whether you maintain your eligibility, whether an individual student-athlete maintains his eligibility for each of these quarters, and two, whether they stay in school. Um, so... If a guy transfers, even if he is academically in good standing, that does dock you a point, um, just leaving school. Um, right. And then if you are ineligible when you do that, that docks you two points. But if a guy stays in school and doesn't transfer out but is ineligible, that just docks you one point because he's still there. He's still working through it. He just can't play. Um, right. So we're all good with that. So like Keyshawn Lucer South docked him a point because he was academically ineligible for a while. Um, but didn't dock him two points because he didn't transfer out of school. Okay. So, go ahead. No, I said I got it. Okay. Well right, explained. Now, Jim Mora, um, during his run at UCLA, 
never had a score lower than 963 in any single year. Rick Neuheisel, in his run... Wait, wait, wait. The score that you can't dip under... Is 930. So 930, 930, you cannot dip lower than that on your four-year rolling average. Right. And Well, you can appeal it, and there's some weird stuff that can happen, but that's the point at which you can get a postseason ban for that year until that gets above 930 again. Okay. So Jim Mora, during his run at UCLA, never had a score lower than 963. In his transition year, he was completely fine. It was like a 970, I want to say, which was the year he took over, 2011-2012, from Rick Neuheisel. Rick Neuheisel never had a score lower than, I believe, 948 when I was looking this up the other day. Never lower than 948 as a single-year score, and his transition year as well was completely fine. No issues. Um, So we've got two samples right there where the transition year was no problem. Leading up to Chip Kelly, the fourth year in this cycle, which was 2017-2018, Mora had a 968, a 971, and a 973, I want to say. So all completely good scores, totally fine. And then in the year where they transitioned out, where Mora um, got fired in November, and then Chip Kelly was hired and manned the, the post for two quarters, two academic quarters, UCLA dipped all the way to an 881. That is horrifically bad. Um, That score is, and you can pin that on a few things, some academic issues, but obviously, as we just talked about, transferring out of the program just by itself dings you. Um, The number of people who transferred out of the program in that that span of time um, significantly hurt the APR. Now, the question is, from a blame game standpoint, whether you can pin that all on the coach who got fired or the coach who took over and didn't re-recruit those guys or encourage them to seek greener pastors. Um, Jim Mora, when he took over, didn't have that issue. And if you remember, he was the one who famously said there's going to be a fail rate. And I don't think he was shy about you know telling the few guys who really weren't going to fit, hey, you're not going to fit. And then they moved on. Um, but it didn't ding APR to anywhere near the same level. Um, Rick Neuheisel, I don't think he had a similar assessment, but it happens all the time when a coach takes over that some guys are going to transfer out. The sheer number of guys that transferred out for Chip Kelly, though, um, went over and above what is typical, went over and above what is normal. And, I mean, we don't know the exact info on which guys dinged them this number of points and which guys dinged them this number of points or, you know, all of that, but... You can't look at that and say, oh, that was all Jim Mora's fault when it literally was confined to one year. That is the entire reason UCLA is in trouble now and is going to be in trouble for the next three years because it's going to take four years now before that score is off of the four-year rolling average. The next couple of years, they have to average 934 to maintain above 930. And then the year after that, they have, so for the next three years, they have to average 948 to stay above. Because those 971, the 973, the 968, those are all going to drop off now, that four-year average, making that 881 even more of an albatross to hang around UCLA's neck. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, a couple of things to add. Uh, I, can, I can understand at the end of a coaching tenure where things are just going to crap, including whether – your players are going to class, how they're doing academically. That's one of the first things to kind of go. Um, 
I can absolutely understand that when Chip Kelly came in, it was probably looking pretty bad. There were a lot of guys that were on the way to academic ineligibility. Absolutely. But that's how it is with just about every program when there is a coaching transition. Every program in the country is going to suffer this. So, yes, is Morris slightly to blame? Yes. If you're going to blame just about every outgoing coach in college football, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. The new coach will come in and say, okay, I need to do some things to just make sure this doesn't become an issue. And what he would do is try to look at, let's say, you know, 30-something guys and determine which ones were probably the best citizens that are the yeah, – I understand he wants to in, – in Chip Kelly's mind, he wanted to purge everyone. And, and that was his way of saying this, this was the state of this program and this is what I have to rebuild. I get that. But the fact that that went as far as to damage the APR without any kind of self-realization that I need to find the best citizens here that might not even be able to contribute to the depth chart, but at least I have the best chance of – keeping their academics high enough to where it won't damage the APR and they can contribute to the program. I, I think I, I did a list. I don't have it in front of me of like about 10 or 11 guys. If you would have just kept five or seven of them, that, that wouldn't, that would have really offset that 881 for that year. Uh, right now for the, the score that's going to come out this next spring, so like you said, this was Chip Kelly's two quarters. This is now going to be Chip Kelly's three quarters. And there, we'd have to go back and look at when no, everyone... No, I was tra- thinking about it. There were a bunch who didn't go until last right. year. That's what I'm saying. There were a lot that didn't transfer or lead the program until last year. I think the majority of them, in fact. Or a good number. Let's just say that. And it's just... it's. It's having to determine whether those guys were leaving the program with a 2.6 GPA at the time of the departure of the program. And I don't know that, whether it's actually leaving the school with a 2.6 or leaving the program and you're still in school and you had a 2.6 when you left. That's significant because there are still a handful of guys still at UCLA who have left the program. And whether they left the program at with a 2.6 or above – or not is is kind of key. Like, if if it's a, I don't know that. If anyone does know that, it'd be great to know. But I think it's when you leave the program. Do you know that, Dave? Leave the program or leave the school? It's leave the institution. So when you leave the institution while academically eligible, it docks you a point. When you leave the institution while academically ineligible, it docks you two points for that player. So um, players who left the program but are still in school. Can so it depends on their academics. They could still be worth two points because they're still in the institution if they maintained their academics. But if their academics were bad and that's why they left the program, then they're docked a point. Okay, so if they were in the program, they were below a two point six. They left the program at that level, and now they're still in school, and they raised it to over two point six. You're still docked a point. 
That's my understanding. Now, okay. I'm, I'm basing this off of what the NCAA website says. There might be some okay. rules associated with it that I don't know, but this is what the website says. They're, it's pretty simple. If they now, leave the institution, that's, that's going to dock them a point no matter what, before, if they do it before they graduate, I should say. Right. Now, the NCAA has said at times that postseason ban is not off the table, but there's been enough kind of talked about, you know, that the NCA would listen to an appeal, they would have a little bit of uh, leeway and sympathy for a program that for a yeah a program in a school that hadn't been punished before. So if UCLA did dip below that nine thirty, it might not lead to a post postseason ban, but it's just something that could have very easily been avoided. And and it's to me it's a, it's an example of just not not having the sense that this is something you you would have to deal with, I guess you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Which is which is kind of indicative of a few other things, especially like in recruiting, um, something that you didn't think would happen. Um, but it's a it's a really interesting. It's it's very 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 interesting right now. I think UCLA. What did you say the score would have to be for the next year to keep them from dipping under nine thirty? So for next season by itself, um, I think they would have to get like an eight ninety five. For the next two right. years, they have to average a nine thirty four, um, and for the next three years after that, so for the next. Two years alone, they have to do 934. But for the next three years, to make up for that 881, they have to average a 946. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's going to that's gonna be really interesting when we come around to spring to see what, that's, what that score is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and you're, saddled with, you're saddled with these things for four years. Yep. Yeah. And that's not even talking about, I mean – since we're talking about it, how about UCLA basketball? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, and that's even a worse dire straits. By far. Uh, I mean, it's four-year average last spring was 933. And that's not taking into consideration Chris Wilkes, uh, Jalen Hands, and uh, Moses Brown. So... Yeah, I, I don't even want to go there, and I, I'm sure Mick Cronin was aware of that, and he's doing what he can to fix that, fix that score. But that's also going to be very interesting. Um, you would only hope that they give them some kind of leniency <laughs> if it does dip. I mean, 933, that's going to be – I personally think it's going to be really hard to keep that from dipping below 930. Yes, yeah, that's going to be a challenge, um, and yeah, I think it's going to be a challenge on both ends. I think it's going to be a challenge for football too. Um, it's well, football was nine forty eight, right? The yeah, but it's it, but again, it's that eight eighty one is horrific, yeah. um, and it's not so much this coming year because the nine seventies are still buoying it, but the years after that, like they've got to be legitimately like single years significantly better than the nine thirty minimum. And, and it's, it's interesting, too, just from the standpoint that you're getting the sense of what 
of what this program, football program, is their pitch and what their mindset is. Um, it's pretty much, and this is what they're telling recruits. This is their sales pitch in recruiting that it had to be an absolute. And I don't, I know you don't like the saying down to the studs raising of the program, just a clean uh, house cleaning of all the players because the culture and everything was so bad. That's what they're, I mean, and I understand. I, I think when you go four and 14, that's, that's probably, I can't think of any other effective. I don't even know if it's effective, but I can't think of any other pitch. When you go to a recruit, you're going to have to say, look, th- this program was just a mess. It was in complete disarray. We had to just tear it all down to the studs and start all over. And that's why we're four and 14. But as soon as we get my guys who are juniors and seniors and have been in the program and know the system, that's when we'll start winning because we have, how many is it? 80 something freshmen. And so, what, what do they always say? Do they say 80? 80 87 freshmen? or something like that. Yeah. So that, I mean, that is, that is when you're four and 14, that is going to have to be your pitch, but you can see the consistent, the consistency of the attitude and the mindset from the recruiting pitch to to the APR like you know we were saddled with those APRs before we got here and that's what's that's what's bringing us down right interesting you get a real sense of of the attitude and the mindset for sure for okay sure all right well do you have any other football stuff you want to talk about no yeah god no god no do you dave no, under no circumstances do I want to talk any more about this football team today. I just want to say one thing. I would really, I, uh, I would really like to just end this streak. Damn, this streak I think might be more painful than the s- seven losses against USC. Honestly, I, there's something about. Obviously, it's longer, but damn, this is just. This is a. This is tough. Don't yeah, think? I, I think it's honestly, it's, it's, I, I, I know you love my irony boy stuff, but it, it's, it's truly hilarious. Like <laughs> 11 straight to Stanford. It's Stanford. They barely had a football program for like 25 years in there. Like that's, yeah. that's something like doing that. That's like if they'd somehow managed to do the 0 and 12 this year, which they were like a miracle against Washington state from having a real chance of doing, um, like that's something to hang your hat on. Like when you point to these lost two decades for UCLA, where it's just been basically bad the whole time, like number one on the thing you should talk about is yeah. UCLA during that stretch somehow managed to lose 11 straight or maybe 12 straight to Stanford. Like that's, that is the clearest depiction of why this has been a terrible 20 years. I remember, I think, and I'm sorry that I don't remember that you were there with me when Jim Mora lost. Uh, it was the Pac-12 championship game. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's all running together. But correct me if I'm wrong. They had just played Stanford the week before. Correct. Yes. Yes, they played them six days before. And 
in Stanford Stadium at that time, you you had to do the post game interview with the coach literally in a tent outside. Mm-hmm. Were you there with me? Yes. I mean, I can still see Mora's face, just how much he wanted that right then and how devastated he was. And and literally how, I'm sure you remember the end, end of the game, how close they were to winning that game. Um, yes. What, what, uh, Jonathan well. Franklin's dropped, dropped little uh, flare, right? Yeah, and I mean, there were a couple of things. There was that weird blown coverage um, in the end zone. Um, there was, I mean, the missed field goal. He didn't really have a chance of making that, but the missed field goal. I mean, there were a few different things that hinged on. And just listening to Mora talk in that, I if, if you would have told me he would have lost his edge because, man, he had some edge that night. <laughs> well, you could see how bad he wanted that game and how bad he wanted to win. It's it's amazing how coaching and things can just so change. Yeah, and he had it. I mean, yeah. I mean, in, in retrospect, there were some fatal flaws there um, that were somewhat evident even from the beginning. Um, I think he was. You know, if we're getting into the psychoanalysis of Mora, um, definitely uh, a passionate, bordering on angry guy. And I think it served him well, you know, the whole pissed off for greatness thing, especially at the beginning. But that, you know, if you're fueled by that sort of stuff, like, you're going to burn out at some point. And I think he had, what, what it really was, was two years where I thought he was completely on fire as a coach. Like, completely nailed basically everything he needed to nail. 2012-2013 were phenomenal years to watch the team. And then it started to go bad, really, in that third year, um, the 10-3 and Brett Hundley final season, where it just seemed like there was starting to be some resentment brewing about some things, and the team culture kind of went off the whack a little bit, um, and it just kind of devolved from there. But I think it was, you know... Hmm, That's funny. That's that's where you put it. I put it, my memory and maybe my feeling about it was the whole Miles Jack thing. Well, that was 2014. Yeah, okay. Got it. Yeah. Um, 2014 is, I think, when he was in spring ball, I think. No, no, that was 2015, the the, yeah. the fall camp in 2015 where he had the whole blow up and, and was cursing at people on the on the field. Um, yeah, there was a – but that culture issue started early. Like there was a double standard for certain guys and, you know, just – but there was – I think a lot of it was just Mora himself. I think he developed some real resentments and anger about other things that didn't have anything to do with playing football on the field. Um, and it, you know, made him resent certain things about UCLA over time. And, and I think that's what ultimately kind of made him uh, not less interested in the job, but a little less enthused about it. And with a guy like that where it's basically everything is all about enthusiasm. When he was enthusiastic, the job went great. And when he stopped having that passion and enthusiasm for the job, yeah, it went bad really quick. Yeah, yeah. We should probably do a whole podcast about Mora. Yeah, at some point here soon, because I, I I do see people on the board getting it all kind of twisted up in their brains. Where they get it all, it's I never see someone one hundred percent accurate about when they're talking about Mora. Well, because they're 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 just kind of lumping him in with the uh, Darrell and Neuheisel stuff too. I see that a lot, and it's just, I mean, that's just completely 
ignoring um, those first two to three years, just completely ignoring it. Who would have thought that it was all about loose Thanos? <laughs> well, that's the thing is, and there's another line of argument that everything after that first staff, every single hire they made after that first staff was bad. Um, except until the very end when it didn't matter anymore. Jed Fish was probably a good hire, but I mean, just some of the, like some of the early signs of just like the assistants they hired to replace other assistants were just like, what, what are you doing? Yep. Yep. So, yeah. Okay. We'll leave that. We'll do that in an off season. Yeah. We'll do that after this season's yeah. over. Because All we've right. never, I mean, I, we've written a little bit about the postmortem, but we probably need to remind it, remind everyone again, because people get writing. I, we spend so much time on the forum correcting people and it's not just correcting new information. It's correcting old information. That's got kind of, kind of just twisted around a bit. It's like playing telephone, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So we probably should do a definitive Jim Mora podcast That'd like be fun. Next, next summer. Maybe we'll bring Jim on. <laughs> my new, yeah, uh, let, me, let me think about that one. My new buddy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's right. He responded. To your <laughs> no, he, he gave me the follow. He hit me with that follow on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Look at me. All right. Um, okay. Well, that's it for us. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed the basketball talk. Hope you tolerated the football talk. And uh, we'll be back again next time.